chose that song to begin our new series, Designed by God, um, because several reasons. One, it came out years ago when we did a birthday party for Rachel. I think it was her 12th birthday, and one of the things that Janie did was she put together this uh, CD of all these um, uplifting songs, and that was one of them we put on there because we wanted girls to realize that, that beauty, true beauty in the eyes of God comes from the inside. And we didn't want them to be all focused on the outside like so much of our society is. But I also want everyone here to know that God did not mess up when he created you. And so kind of to start this off, we're going to come back to this all through this series. I want you to look at somebody next to you and I want you to say, you are a masterpiece. All right, look at somebody else. Say, you are a masterpiece. Now, you may not believe it yet, but uh, hang with me and hopefully you'll start to see yourself the way God sees you. God's aware of all of the imperfections. God did not mess up when he created you. God has an incredible plan for you. And that's what we're going to be talking about over these next several weeks. How many of you have ever watched Extreme Makeover, any edition? I mean, there's the home edition, there's the weight loss edition, there's the face edition, there's all these different things. The home edition came out in 2003 and we kind of discovered it by accident. It came on Sunday nights and, and we started watching and, and the very first time, you know, we got hooked because there was this family that was just in a t- terrible situation, horrible, uh, home life and they, they were lost all their money and, you know, just all this stuff. There's mold and mildew and things falling down and, and bug infested house and all this stuff. And I don't even know how, I think it was ABC. I don't know. I don't care. Uh, I don't know how they found out about these people, but they went and they tore down their house. They sent them off on this, this week long thing to Disney World or whatever and they tore down their house and they redid their house. When they come back, you remember what, how many of you ever watched the show? Anybody seen this show? You remember what Ty says? Always the last thing, the family comes up, they get out of the limo and he's, and everybody screams, bus driver, move that bus. And so they move the bus. And what does the family do? The family, oh, it's just incredible. They can't believe that this, it doesn't look anything like their old house. And, and they start screaming, they start crying, they're running around in circles and everybody's cheering and clapping. And then they go inside the house and they discover that what these designers had done, the designers figured out which kid was in which room and the parents and, and all of that stuff. And they would custom design a room based around the kid's interests. Didn't matter what the interests were. They could be a dancer and everything in the room would be themed on dancing or they could be a, a scientist or it, it, Whatever it was, music, anything, they would design it and you would watch the kids. The kids would walk into the room and they would immediately go, is this for me? And it was just incredible. And and I think it was Rachel the first time. So this would have been 10 years ago. So she'd have been six or so. And she said, we're watching, you know, and everybody's going around. They're hugging all this stuff. And Rachel goes, is anyone else crying? And I'm sitting over going, no, because it just tore at my heart. It was so cool to see this. And, and they would say, is this really our house? And then usually somebody, some big benefactor would come and they'd pay for the house. And they'd say, you don't have a mortgage and we're going to have scholarships for your kids for college. And everybody was so excited. And they're just like, oh, I can't believe this is ours. I later discovered that they did a, I'm sorry, it's not funny. They did one for, for people that they would make over people and they would take unattractive people and they would make them attractive, and, and this isn't funny. And actually, it was very pa- painful for me to watch. There's, I've got a before and after picture here. Um, this guy, they, they actually did surgery on him, and I was reading about it. They did rhinoplasty, did a nose job. They did liposuction of his chin. They gave him a new chin, which means they had to fracture his jaw and stick a new one in there. He had dental work. He had liposuction on the rest of his body. And, and just when he comes out to do the big reveal, you know, they do all this stuff, and, and then they show you... <clears throat> what they look like after all the plastic surgery. 
bruised and battered and bandaged and hideous. I mean, they are looking hideous. And then there's several weeks that go by and then they're all ready for the big reveal. And they come and they stand at the top of the stairway and they open up the curtain or whatever and they bring the camera in and there's gasps because their family members don't even recognize them. They don't even look the same anymore. And they'll go, dad, is that, is that you? And they're all excited and they have this new uh, esteem. I, I couldn't watch this one very much because it made me so sad what they were doing to these people. And, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't do whatever they can to, to be more attractive, but that's not the, the real issue. I think that the reason these shows became so popular through the years, my wife to this day, if she has free time, she's going to watch HGTV. And there's Design on a Dime, and there's Love It or List It, there's Property Brothers. <clears throat> and, and I'm on sports or movies, you know, that's kind of what I watch. And I come in, and Janie's watching all these things. And I, I have to admit, though, every time it sucks me in. You know, because they'll take this hideous room, and I, I just want to see the reveal. I just can't wait to see the reveal. And I'm like, wow. Because like Love It or List It, they redo your house, and they go and show you another house, and you have to choose between your redone house or this new house. And most of the time, they come back, and they say, we didn't know our house could look like this. It's been totally transformed. <clears throat> and I believe there's something in all of us, just this, this innate nature. I think it was created by God in us that we love to th- see things restored. We love to see broken down things made new. We like to see useless things made useful. And I believe that's kind of the story of Christianity. I believe it's the story of the whole Bible, that God is looking for broken down, hurt people, and he's looking to recreate them, to give them a new story, a new life, a new power, a new peace. He loves breaking, uh, fixing broken things. And it's, it's especially true in the New Testament. And the theme for our church is 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says this. When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He is not the same anymore. A new life has begun. God's desire is to do an extreme makeover in every man, woman, boy, and child on the planet. So I want you to think about this. God wants to make you over. In fact, you need to look at at, at your neighbor again and say, God wants to make you over. Look at the other one. God wants to make you over. When God comes inside someone who's willingly invites him inside, Ella gave us a testimony this morning that she has asked God to be the forgiver of sins and the leader of her life. She's young and and hopefully that she doesn't go through some of the stuff that some of us went through because that's the greatest testimony ever. The greatest testimony is not the one that I've done all of this horrible stuff and now look what God has done. The greatest testimony is I found Christ at a young age and I followed him my whole life. And God did some amazing things because I followed the narrow path. You know, isn't that right? I mean, it, yes, it's a great testimony. And we're gonna, I'm going to share some things as we go through this series about what God has done to transform people who were messed up into trophies of his grace. But, but my prayer is that my children don't have to do some of the idiot things that I did. Right? I mean, wisdom is learning from the mistakes of others, so we don't have to do all of that. God wants to do a relational, spiritual, emotional, internal, forever transformation in everybody here. He wants to do a recreation. So we're going to get this and we're going we're gonna to start our foundation to this from Ephesians chapter 5. And if you have your uh, smartphones, you can get on version. If you do a search for live events and do 75802, or 803, any of those, it'll pop up today's sermon and you can have some, uh, <clears throat> you can follow along there with your notes or you can follow along on the screen. We put it up here for everyone. 
Now, before, what, what we're going to see here is God's going to give us a before and after picture of what happens in a person's life spiritually. He's going to show us, you know, before the plastic surgery and after the plastic surgery, before they come in and knock down all the sheetrock and before they make this new incredible room. Here's the before and after picture. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins... You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our spiritual, of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. All right, so we get the before picture. There's three things on the before picture. First of all, the before, and this is a stunning thing when you consider all this. First of all, you were dead in sin, which means you were separated from God. See, there's three types of death. There's physical death, there's spiritual death, there's eternal death. Death means being unable to communicate with those who are living. So if you go through a physical death, then you're unable to communicate with people who are still alive. If you are in a spiritual death, which means separation from God, you are unable to unable because of your sins to communicate with a perfect and holy God. So there's the spiritual death. Then there's an eternal death. Eternal death is when a person who never knew Jesus Christ dies physically. They stand before God. God judges them and says, I do not know you. You were never adopted into my family. I'm going to cast you into the lake of fire. Now people say, how can a loving God send somebody to hell? God doesn't. If you do not choose Jesus Christ before you die, If you say, I want to live my life completely separated from God, God honors that request upon your death and you're forever separated from him in a place called hell. Hell was actually created for Satan and his demons. And it's a place that people who reject Jesus Christ, who say, God, I want nothing to do with you in the, in the physical life. God says, you'll have nothing to do with me in the spiritual life. And you'll, you'll uh, experience separation forever. That's the eternal death. So the first thing is you're dead to sin, separated from God. Second is you're slaves of sin. People who are separated from God are addicted to something. Everybody worships something. I don't care if you're an atheist, you worship something. People who are separated from God get addicted to drugs. They get addicted to pleasing other people. They get addicted to all kinds of of destructive behaviors. You're slaves to sin. And then there's a third thing he says, you're under God's anger. Uh, some of the translations, NIV and some others say, under God's wrath. So what that means is, when you are in the before category, when you're over here on this side, when you're dead to sin, when, when you're uh, a, a slave to sin, you're under God's wrath, what that means is you are targeted for destruction. You have chosen not to follow God, so you're in this category over here, and God says, everybody in this category, when they stand before me, they do not get to come into heaven. Now, the, the, that's a very scary thing. But the good news of the New, New Testament and, and the message about Jesus is called the gospel, which really means good news. The good news is God didn't leave us in that before picture. He came and did this stunning transformation that he talks about in the next verse, starting in verse 4. <clears throat> but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ Jesus. 
Now, if you had a lot of time to study this, and we don't today because this is just kind of the foundation of where we're headed in this whole series. If you had a lot of time to study, you would understand some major, major transformation had taken place. But let's just mention three of them. First of all, in the after category, before you were dead, after you're made alive. Someone who is dead doesn't need a little bit of perfume sprinkled on them or or a little bit of, of cologne sprayed upon them. A dead person doesn't need someone to hold their hand. A dead person needs to be made alive. And the only way you can be made alive spiritually is through Jesus Christ. Second thing is you're free from sin's power. We said that before you are a slave to sin, you're a slave to your addictions. You're a slave to something because you're worshiping something after you are free from the power of sin. You're free from Satan's grip and praise God. You're free from the mistakes of your past. That's humongous. And third, you're adopted. The third thing is you're adopted. You were under God's anger. You were targeted for destruction. When you come over here into the after category, God says, when you die and you stand before him and Jesus opens up the Lamb's book of life and you give your name, he finds your name and he says, this one's one of ours. And God says, come in and and share my inheritance because you're a child of God. There's a song years ago, uh, Mercy Me did this on, I think, their first album. It was called Adopted. And some of the words said, hallelujah, God has spoken. And I know because God has spoken, this changes everything. And it says, glory be to my father who reigns. For I met him and I've never been the same. While in bondage to Jesus I came, he took my place and he changed my name. I'm adopted into the family of God. So this is marvelous, unbelievable transformation from before I'm targeted for hell to after I've done nothing to deserve it. Jesus Christ did it. And because I ask him to, he changes my name and adopts me into the family of God. Tremendous transformation. And somebody might ask, why would God do that? Because a logical person is going to look at that and say, why would you take people from this before? And why would you go over here and put them into this category? Well, Paul tells us. God takes far from God people, hostile to God people, disobedient people. And he tells us in verse 7. He does this so God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. As shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. God wants to do an extreme makeover in your life and mine. And he does it so that he can point to us. We're kind of like trophies of his grace. Throughout all ages, God says, look at this one. Look at this one. Have you seen this one? Look what I did in this life. I saved this life. This person bowed to me and I saved them. Look what I did to them. We are trophies of his grace for all ages to come. So I remember this first episode I watched of when they did the... the the makeover of the lady. And when she comes down, you know, it's just crazy. She's, she, she looks so different. Nobody recognizes her. Everybody says, who is that? Is that you? Is that really you? And the kids had tears in their eyes, you know, and it's all this stuff. People were so thankful that their house had been transformed, that their mom had been transformed, that they turned to the people who did it. They turned to the doctors in the case of the, the physical makeover. They turned to all of the designers and all of the, the workers, and they just couldn't, couldn't express their incredible gratitude that what was old had been made new. And I think that's kind of what happens with us. And see, God, God takes a life that is totally messed up 
And when you surrender to him, he begins to change you from the inside out so that you begin to look more like Christ. And maybe you come across somebody 10 years down the road, somebody that maybe you used to hang out with and you did some pretty dumb stuff. Maybe you did some drugs or you you stole things or you just did some idiot stuff with these friends. They come across you 10 years later and they say, is that you? You're not the same anymore. And the only way you can explain that is through Jesus. And, and go ahead and turn the, the, the house lights up for me. <clears throat> I didn't ask anybody permission to do this, so if you get mad at me, just pray about it and talk to me later. Uh, stand up, Chad. It's my buddy, Chad. Um, when we, Chad actually helped work on this church before you were even going to church anywhere, right? Regularly. And, and he's, he's, got a, he's got an incredible, um, difficult past. And I remember reading something just recently on, on Facebook. He said, I'm so grateful that God has changed me and that my grandsons will never know the man I used to be. So God has taken Chad and, and he's done this whole Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through, through 7. And he's totally transformed this man that people don't even recognize Chad anymore. Thank you, buddy. Sit down. Another friend of mine over here, he's real quiet. He's going to get mad at me. George, stand up. Yeah, he said, oh. Now, George, I baptized you probably three months ago, four months ago, and the whole family. And uh, I remember when we had first bought this building and we were going to remodel it and all this stuff. Uh, I went to Michael Deere's office and uh, Rebecca was in there and she was Pendley back then. And we were talking and, and I said, I recognize you. And she said, yeah, I've been to your church once in the old building. And I said, well, you ought to come to the new building. It's a great time to come back. And we had this talk and she started coming. And so she started coming, kept coming. She said, would you pray for my husband? And she would write that on the card. Lots of times, George, your name was on the card. Pray for George. And so George started coming and probably three years he was attending and, uh, and, and he was actually trying to find a loophole. He was trying to find something that he could pin us on, you know, because he'd had a kind of a, a rough background with church. And so, um, I don't even remember exactly the day he did it, but there was a day that George prayed in church. He didn't tell me, didn't tell Rebecca till later. And then it's kind of like, you know, a week or two later, I don't remember how long he's just kind of like, oh yeah, I prayed. And I was like, what? You know, and I'm all excited and jumping up and down. You can sit down, George. I know that that's painful for him. But here's the thing. George and Rebecca came to our small group for a while. And I remember him talking about people in his past, relatives, that don't understand what has happened in his life. Because he's not the same anymore. Um, Timmy's not here, is he? Timmy uh, Quick. I can't tell you how many times I've said to people, you know, Timmy Quick, he owns BB Quick. And, and Timmy... And if you see him around here, Timmy comes in, just gives me big old hugs, big old bear hugs. When we have prayer times, he's one of the first ones up here to, to, to pray with me. And man, he's just, he just, he loves me. I don't know why he loves me. Dude just loves me. And so they were coming to our small group and, and actually Tina came first and Tina said, you would not believe how mean my husband used to be. And this was years ago, years ago. Okay. I'm not, I'm not trying to bring out any trash or any laundry here. This was a long time ago, and, and she was sharing some things about it. And then what's funny is Timmy came probably three or four weeks later, and, and Timmy goes, you wouldn't believe how mean I used to be. You know, and he's telling us the whole same story. And, uh, and I've, I've talked to at least five or six people in, in Anderson County, and sometime I'll just, I don't know how it comes up, but I'll go, hey, you know Timmy Quick? And, and they'll go, yeah. And I say, 
Timmy comes to our church. Timmy's a great friend of mine. They'll go, Timmy quick. BB quick, Timmy quick. And I said, yeah. I said, you would not know the man because of what God's done in his life. And people are like, wow, must be something to this God thing. Can I tell you something about this? That's what God wants to do in every one of you. God's desire is to take your life and make you this trophy of his grace. Not because of anything you did. You ask George, you ask Chad, you ask Timmy, you ask anybody in here. If you deserve to be a trophy of God's grace, no. I went to my 10-year reunion and people were like, you're a preacher? Yeah. They let me pray because that's what preachers do. We're professional prayers, you know. <laughs> Got to pray there. And, uh, but I had a couple of people come up afterwards and they're like, man, can't believe what God's done in your life. God wants to do that to you. Every person on the planet, he wants to do that, but he's not going to force himself. He's a perfect gentleman, and he will not force his way into your life. And you, you, you might say, how in the world do you get that? Well, let me show you from verse 10. Verse 10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. If you have your, your pens there, if you're looking at your listening guide, circle that word masterpiece, because we're going to come back to this over and over. And, and this series is probably going to be one of the longest series that, that I ever do, because it is so important that you understand what God's doing in your heart. You're God's masterpiece. And now, the next uh, sentence, he has created, created us anew in Christ Jesus, kind of put a little squiggly line under that. And then I want you to box the next phrase, so we can do the good things. Put a box around that. So let's put this all together. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You were created by God to do good things for his kingdom. Two reasons God restores you. One is to be a trophy of his grace from now, from the moment you come to Christ until forever, for eternity. That's the first reason. The second reason, though, is if God just wanted to save you as soon as he saved you, he'd take you to heaven. You have a job to do on this planet. So God saves you so that you can be a trophy and, and everybody can look and say, yeah, God's a merciful God. God's a powerful God if he can change that person. But also so that you can do something to build up his kingdom while you're still on this planet. You have a job to do that only you can do. And God has some incredible things that he's going to give you um, to do that. I don't know if you've ever played, um, any of y'all ever played the game Draw Something? A little app, you know, you can get on your smartphone. I have it on my iPad because I can't draw on my little smartphone. And I, the only reason I got it is because Rachel and Hannah were on it all the time. And now now they'll go like 187 days in between. The only reason I know is because it counts every day and tells you how long. Thanks a lot. They, they ignore me now. But I got it and we used to play. And in fact, uh, Jesse's the one who sent me one most recently. My daughters haven't, haven't written anything. It, here's what's cool about Draw Something. It's, it's really just like Pictionary or, you know, whatever. But what's cool about it is when you start drawing, because I suck at drawing. And, you know, I'll see something, you have these three little things you can choose from, and I'll choose, I, I can draw that, and I'll start drawing, and then, then I'll look at it, and I just get tickled. I'm like, that is the most hideous whatever it was supposed to be ever. But what's cool about the game is you can either do an eraser, and you can do a little bitty eraser, because you can do a fine point, a medium point, a big fat point. I get the big fat point, and I erase it, but there's some times that I have to blow the whole picture up. Because it's so bad, I can't even erase it. And there's this little thing down at the bottom. You can blow the whole picture up and you can start fresh and new. And I get tickled watching their, their drawings. Because I try to figure out, you know, 
what they're doing. And so they'll, they'll draw one and they'll blow it up. And I'm going, dude, what was that? And they'll blow, they'll draw another two or three or four times. They'll draw this thing and then just blow it up. And, and finally they'll write out a, a, a clue because they can't figure out how to draw it. And they'll say, you know, sometimes Hannah almost spells it out. You know, uh, if it's bird, it's something that flies and it's B blank R D, you know, and I'm like, baby, I can, I can figure out a little bit more than that. So don't ever fill in the letters. <laughs> but what's funny is watching them get a do over. And I know they get tickled. They're like, Dad, we liked your first picture or whatever. God offers you a do-over for your life. And he can make you into something that no one would even recognize whenever you surrender your will and your life to him. And see this word ma- uh, masterpiece in the Greek, in the Hebrew and the Greek, it's, it's something that's in progress. So you can think of it as a canvas, Your life is a canvas and God is painting. And even if you screw up over here, God can take that and make something beautiful out of it. So he's painting, but it's in progress. Or the same word could be used um, for sculpting when you're when you're making something out of clay. God can constantly reshape you, reform you. Or it was used of of literature, of of this, this literary work that's a masterpiece, but it's in progress. As long as you're still breathing, God has the opportunity to change you into something incredible. And, and beautiful. So here's where we're going with this whole series. God has a purpose and a plan for your life, but most people are missing it. So I don't want you to miss it. God says he wants you to do good things. And, and this little phrase that he planned long ago, the, the end of, of verse 10, it says, for we are God, God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Before the world was ever spoken into existence, God knew your name. God knew you would be here today. God knew all the things that you were going to do wrong, all the things that you were going to do right. And he loved you in spite of all of that. And he knew that he would have an opportunity to take your life and make something beautiful out of it. You're a work in progress. It just, you have to decide then, are you going to let God do his extreme makeover on you? And what we're going to learn in the weeks ahead is that God loves you so much that he has gifted you something. Every believer has at least one spiritual gift. And that's where we're going over the next seven weeks is we're going to help you discover what the spiritual gifts are, how to figure out what your gift is. Gifts are given by God. You don't get to decide those, but we'll help you discover what they are, what yours is. And then we want to help you plug in because the good works that God wants you to do, there's two places he wants you to do them. He wants you to do them in the church, which is his bride. And he wants you to do them in the community. When you discover what God has created you to do, what God has gifted you to do, and you begin doing that, it fuels your passion for serving the kingdom. And then when you see people come and baptize, I don't know, we've had 25 or so baptisms in the last three months. You see people's lives change and they stand up and they want to say, I'm so serious about Christ that I want to be baptized. Baptism is going public with your faith in Jesus Christ. And God says, if you're ashamed of me before men, Jesus says this. He said, I'll be ashamed of you before my father in heaven. So the last thing I want to do is is take this light, this gifting that God has given me and hide it or not use it because it's like a muscle. If you don't exercise a muscle, it atrophies. It goes away. If you aren't using your gift to build up the kingdom of God, then you're suffering and the body of Christ is suffering. 
So it's high time we figure this out and start serving in the kingdom of God. Would you bow your heads for a moment? I want you to think about where you are in this whole process. Because the Bible says there's none of us righteous. Not a single person is righteous apart from Christ. And so you got three options. You can be in the before category. You can be dead in sin, separated from God. You can be slaves to sin. You can be under God's anger. Or you can be forgiven. You can be made alive. You can be free from your sins. You can be adopted into God's family. And I want you to think about where you are in that spectrum. Some of you, this is what happens a lot of times. People say, I'm, I'm adopted. I know I'm a Christ follower, but I'm not very close. And I sure don't know what God has created me to do. Our job as a church is to help you figure out where you're supposed to serve. And that's where we're headed over these next few weeks. So I want you to pray to God. God, show me where I fit in your kingdom. Father, we want to give you glory and honor for taking messed up people and changing them. God, I thank you for the people in this room. And and there's people here that if they were really honest, they'd say, they'd say they don't really like themselves. They don't like the way they look. They don't like the way they think. And God, what they need is for you to begin to show them how much as a perfect heavenly father, you love them just the way they are, but you love them too much to leave them the way they are. So father, it's my prayer that people will begin surrendering to you today and that you'll change the course of history because of that. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.